0: Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Good morning, New Covenant. The Lord has been doing uh, great things in our midst. Uh, I'm super excited about where we're going to be over the next seven weeks. We'll be taking a look at seven letters to seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3 And we'll be seeing how that relates to our church, New Covenant Church. Um, We're going to see that there are numerous people within these seven churches that have remained faithful to the Lord despite some really hard times. And New Covenant Church has been through some hard stuff. Uh, You all have walked through hard things, especially in the past year. Uh, My family has walked through hard things in the past year, and it's just been neat to see God's people remain faithful. And in the midst of that faithfulness, God blesses that. Uh, And as I just look around this room right now, I'm seeing some of God's blessings. Some of your faces that have been walking through these doors, some of you all coming back to the Lord and rededicating your lives, some of you all giving your lives to Christ for the first time, some just getting plugged back into church, and that has given us a good problem. Our good problem is last Sunday, we had no parking spaces left. There was nowhere for anybody to park. And That's a good problem, um, but it's a problem nonetheless. And so we are working and praying through how to remedy that. We're looking around the sanctuary as well and going there often times where we don't have places for families to sit together. Um, So... In the Bible, they greeted each other with a holy kiss. Right now, you all are going to share seats with your rumps, okay? No, I'm just kidding. You're not going to have to do that. Um, We we are excited about a couple of things. As we pray through what the Lord wants us to do, we're actually going to move to two services coming up really soon. Um, So we're excited about that. The exact date that we are going to do it is going to just mess everybody up, and we're doing it just for fun, just to play with your emotions. But Daylight Savings Time is March 12th. Now, just out of curiosity, how many of you all hate Daylight Savings Time because now it's darker in the morning? Awesome, so you can all come to church with a bad attitude at the same time, right when we start two services, so that's great. Uh, I'm with you. I'm not a big fan of Daylight Savings, but it's coming, and I believe it's like six weeks or seven weeks away. That will be the beginning of our two services, and so we will be switching to 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m., so if you still like later, you get an extra half hour to sleep. If you've been wanting to start church earlier, you can come an hour earlier, Um, So we'll re-announce that, but again, Daylight Savings Time, March 12th, 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m., and then we'll give you the details as to which of those services is going to have kids ministry and all that going on. Uh, We're going to probably take a survey of our parents and just see what fits families better, and then we'll go from there. Um, If there is anything that you don't like about that switch, David Adkins is in the back. You can talk to him. (laughs) If you love it, I'll be up front after the service. Sorry, David, couldn't help it. (laughs) All that to be said, again, God has been good to us. Um, He has blessed us. I am extremely thankful to be up here. It is a blessing and a privilege um, to get to call myself your pastor. It has been a blast to get to know many of you. And again, part of the reason why we are starting to see all of these seats get filled up and parking spaces taken is that y'all have been faithful um, to Jesus and you're sharing the gospel and you're sharing your love for him. And that's exciting stuff. Amen? Okay, gang. We're going to pray and then we're going to dive right into Revelation chapter 2 and we are on like, it's still part of Revelation, but it's like a mini series for the next seven weeks as we take a look at seven real churches and what it is that God is going to teach us uh, through each of those seven churches. So let's pray together and then we'll get ready to dive in. Father, thank you so much for this morning and we thank you for your blessing to us. Uh, Lord, we do admit and confess that there have been some hard things that we've all gone through over the past year or so, and um, Lord, we know that there are probably more to come, Uh, but we are so thankful that you walk in the midst of your church, uh, whether we are going through some of the lowest of lows or whether we are up on a mountain peak. Lord, we thank you that you are the God of the mountains and you're the God of the valleys, and there's nothing that surprises you, and so Lord, we just thank you for being with us. In all things, Lord, we love you. We thank you for this morning that you've given to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Out of curiosity, does anybody like getting mail? Okay, I guess it depends on what it is, right? That's a loaded question. If it's from a loved one. Uh, For us, our oldest child's about 450 miles-ish away at Grand Canyon University. All of our family is about 850 miles away in San Diego. So now when we get letters from them, uh, it's pretty cool. We get pretty excited to open it up. Um, I'm curious, though, so what if you got a letter from Jesus himself? Would you be excited at all? Um, well, I got one this week. Uh, it's sent to New Covenant Church at 7201 Paseo del Norte in Albuquerque, and it says it's from Jesus in heaven. Okay, I wrote it, but still, it's kind of cool. And uh, I'm going to read to you a letter. We actually got seven letters from Jesus, they're all in Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3. I'm going to read the first letter this morning. And uh, if y'all wouldn't mind, would you just stand with me as we read mail uh, from Jesus? This is coming from Revelation 2, 1 through 7, but this is his first of seven letters uh, that he sends to his churches. Uh, But you're also going to see that we could take a personal look at this. And as he starts off and says to the angel in the church in Ephesus, it is to the church in Ephesus. That's a literal church. There's going to be a literal seven churches, and we're going to look at the map in just a little bit of those seven churches. But this is also not only the church in Ephesus, but much of what he says to the church in Ephesus, he says to the church in Albuquerque. Uh, So let's read this together. To the church in Ephesus, or in Albuquerque, write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. And you, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. You can have a seat. Thanks, gang. We oftentimes around here have what we call the big idea. If there was one big thing that we got from Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, Jesus is telling his church this a loss of love for me or a loss of love for Christ is going to bring a loss of light for Christ. Our calling is to go out and be a light for the gospel. Let our light shine. It's interesting that we are called lampstands, we don't produce the light. And we ourselves are not the light. We're simply the light, the lampstand that reflects or shines forth the light. But Jesus made pretty clear to his church. And uh, again, if you're note takers, there's notes that were in those um, bulletins that you got when you walked through the door. And the one big thing, again, if you walk away with nothing else this morning, a loss of love for Christ is going to bring a lot around a loss of light for Christ. See, there's a lot of things that we're going to see that the church in Ephesus did, uh, but one of the things that we want to recognize is that we can do a lot of things, but if it isn't for the love of Jesus, if it's for the wrong motive, it doesn't really matter what we're doing. It really matters more of who we're being. It should pop up for you on the screen, but there's going to be a map of those seven churches if we can, there we go. And you're going to see that these seven churches are actually literally seven churches in what is today modern day Turkey. And those seven letters that we read in Revelation chapters two and three would literally be the postal route that a postal carrier would follow if he was to be sending letters or someone was to be sending and delivering letters. And so we're starting this week with Ephesus. It's hard to see here on this map, but Ephesus was actually a port city. It's a place where a lot of sailors would pull in. It contained one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, so you would have seen this massive statue with a temple dedicated to a gal named Diana, or in Greek it was Artemis. She was a fertility goddess. There was at least a thousand temple prostitutes working at the temple. Day and night, sailors would pull in or soldiers would pull in and they would engage in all of these sexual orgies, many of them revolving around false idol worship as well. That's what the church in Ephesus was having to deal with. I want you to picture being a believer in Ephesus and that's just a small taste of what you would have experienced when you show up. Well, apparently they stuck true to the faith. They were willing to stick true to the, to the doctrines that they had learned about Jesus. They weren't giving into sin. They weren't giving into evil. And that's part of what Jesus commended them for. But I want to take us back to the beginning of this letter. And this letter is going to set the stage for how we're going to take a look at the next six letters and the next six churches. So there's five things that are going to be said to each church. If you're doing the math, there's seven churches. There's five lessons to each of the seven churches. You're going to get 35 truths or lessons in the next seven weeks. Don't worry, we're only doing five at a time, so we'll be okay. But we're going to take a look at five things each week. We're going to start with the character of Christ. There is a reason why the, the particular characteristics of Christ are given to each church. They're not written haphazardly. So you're going to see that the character of Christ that is described to the church in Ephesus is going to have deep meaning to them. We're then going to move on to the commendation of that church, what they're doing well. Where are they excelling? Then we're going to move on to the criticism of the church. There are times where Jesus says, here's what you're doing well, but as a dad who loves you, I'm going to give you a little bit of correction. I'm going to give you a little bit of criticism, maybe a little bit of discipline that you need to heed. And then that's where the fourth thing comes in. That's the challenge. It's the challenge to make a change in light of the criticism that they've been given. And then he finishes with some counsel. Listen, if you heed the challenge that I gave you, here's the blessing that you will receive. Okay, those are the five things. The character of Christ, the commendation of the church, the criticism of the church, the challenge to the church, and then the counsel to the church to heed it and the blessing that they will get as a result. You've all got that memorized, right? Good, because it's on your sermon notes, so you'll be okay. And I even made in all capital letters the five C's, so you'll be, you'll be good to go. Let's start with Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write... The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. What's the first lesson that we learn from this church that I call the Church of Lost Love? This is the church that lost its first love. Well, the first thing that Jesus tells them is about himself. So, the character of Christ that gets depicted to this church here, it speaks of his sovereign authority. And then it speaks of his intimate involvement in the church. We're going to unpack those two in just a moment. Why would his sovereign authority and his intimate involvement in the church have meant so much to the church in Ephesus? We'll break that down. But let's start with this. What's one of the first things he says? Who's he writing to? It says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus Right. That might get a little bit confusing for us, because what's the first thing you think of when you think of angel? Well, it depends on whether you've been watching too much Hallmark or actually reading the Bible. In a Bible, an angel would have been either a four-winged, what we call seraphim, or a six-winged, what we would call cherubim. They were oftentimes messengers and warriors. However, at this point in the Scriptures, I don't believe that that word angel is actually a heavenly angelic being. The word angel actually means messenger, and if we read what what he says in the rest of Revelation 2 and 3 and a couple other places, this is most likely speaking to the pastor of the church in Ephesus. He's that messenger. He's the one who is bringing the message from Jesus to that particular church. So more than likely, that word for angel, um, that word there in the Greek, that angelos, is actually meaning the pastor or the elder, the chief elder or the teaching elder of that church. And he's saying, here's what I want you to do. I want you to bring this message to my bride in Ephesus. Now, the term in his right hand is a reference to power. So Jesus is telling the church in Ephesus, I'm holding you in my hand. You've got nothing to fear. I understand that the Roman government is persecuting you. I understand that even fellow Jews are persecuting you. I understand that you're looked at as the weirdo because you won't get engaged in all the sexual immorality that's happening around that temple dedicated to Diana or Artemis. I get all that, but just know that Jesus is in control. I would ask you to look around Albuquerque and, and note some of the mess that we're in. And then ask yourself the next question. But is Jesus still in control? The answer is absolutely yes. What about within your own family? There may be some things going on. Maybe with your own health, there are some things going on. And I want to encourage you, you are still in Jesus' powerful right hand. He holds on and he will never let go. That's great news not only for the church in Ephesus, but it's also great news for us. See, we love him. We love Jesus and we desire to make him known. And I pray that that doesn't change regardless of what's going on around us. So Jesus says, take heart. Take heart. Why can you take heart? Well, because I hold the seven stars in my right hand and I also walk amongst the seven golden lampstands. Now, again, we'll get into it in just a moment, but what are the seven golden lampstands? Well, I'll just tell you, I don't have to make anything up. I'll just let the Bible tell us. It tells us clearly that those seven golden lampstands are the seven churches. And so Jesus is speaking not only to the seven churches, but he's going to be speaking to our church as well. And he says, not only do I hold you in my right hand, that position of authority, but I walk right in the middle of all those seven churches, which what is that saying? Well, it's the second part of your blank on number one, Jesus has intimate involvement with his church. He's always intimately involved with us. He's not some distant deity that threw us down on the planet and then left us alone. But he walks right by us, again, regardless of what it is that we're going through, or regardless of what it is that's being done to us. Well, now Jesus begins to shift from describing his character to now he's going to give them some commendation. He does what any good parent, any good teacher would do. Before I tell you some of the things that you're struggling with, let me lift you up first. So Jesus says, let's talk about what you're doing well. What's going well at the church in Ephesus? What's going well at New Covenant Church? Well, we'll we'll take a look at both. He says in verses 2 and 3, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you've not grown weary. Skip down to verse 6. And he said, you also have this, you hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So what does he lift them up for? Well, really the commendation from Christ is that, number one, they serve Jesus This is an active church. This is not a church of spectators. This is a church that is actively serving Jesus. The second thing that we learn is that they're sound in doctrine. They know what they believe and they know why they believe it. They know who they are in Christ. They're not going to be lured away by the false gods of the Romans. And they can sniff out heresy from a mile away. So if you want to know three things that Jesus says you're doing well, you're serving me, You're sound in your doctrine, and you can sniff out heresy from a mile away. The three phrases revolving around serving Jesus, he talks about your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. Those three words actually build upon one another. The Greek word for the word works is the word erga. It literally just means basically to do any task or service. But the word toil, that word kapas, in greek literally describes working to the point of exhaustion or laboring to the point of exhaustion so the ephesians would have said if anything is going to get us tired if anything is going to get us worn out it's going to be serving jesus listen gang if anything makes you tired at night let it be serving jesus if there's going to be anything that's going to get you you bogged down a little bit let it be serving jesus Because there's so many trivial and temporal things that we get involved in that bog us down that I myself have to stop and go, wait a minute. Are the things that are causing me some stress, are the things that are causing me weariness and tiredness, are those really even of eternal matters? Then why dedicate so much time and energy to them? The Ephesians were saying, if anything, we're going to wear ourselves out serving Jesus. Let's be a church that serves Jesus until we hit the grave, or He raptures us out of here. Whichever comes first, let's just be that church that just keeps serving Jesus. We also learn that they were sound in their doctrine. Remember, He says, you've tested those that call themselves apostles, and they're not. He says, good job. You've listened to what people have said, you've listened to what people have preached, and then you tested that according to Scripture, and that enabled you to sniff out Heresy, that enabled you to sniff out false doctrine real quick. I will tell you that we are blessed by the people that we have in leadership at New Covenant Church. I think one of the reasons that this church has held together the way that it has is because you have leaders that have been willing to go through thick and thin regardless of what happens at New Covenant Church. Um, you have men and women that love Jesus. I will tell you that I get the privilege of getting to spend time with a group of men um, that we call the elders at this church on a monthly basis and oftentimes more. They love the Lord. They are here to shepherd you. They are here to seek Jesus lifted up and glorified. But I will tell you that it is also a very hard position to be in because if the enemy is going to attack and the demonic world is going to attack, they're coming after the shepherds. Our job as shepherds is to carry two things in our hands. You all know what Palestinian shepherds carried. What those two things were? One was a staff, so it was like one with it had like a little hook on it for a couple of reasons. One, it was just to guide the sheep along, to guide the flock to where they were supposed to go. It was also at times if they were to fall into a pit or into what we would call a wadi, they would reach down and they would pick them up by their furry little bodies and put them back on the path that they were supposed to be on but then there's a second thing that they carried you all know what that was besides the staff a rod what was the rod for rod was oftentimes to beat off wolves or to beat off thieves that would come in to try to steal the sheep that one's a little bit harder to carry because you know what you get looked at as when you're carrying the rod you get looked at as a bad guy namely due to the fact that we live right now in a society that is very what we would call relativistic or pluralistic. That is that there's this little slogan out there, live and let live. You should be allowed to believe whatever you want as long as you're sincere about it. But how many times have you heard a statement made that somebody claims to be true that they want to be sincere about that is false and if they were to continue to believe that it's going to hurt them. A lot of people look at Christianity and go, oh, it's just a bunch of rules. Who wants to follow a bunch of rules? As a dad, I set rules for my daughters. And it's not because I'm trying to be a cosmic killjoy, but quite the opposite. I want them to know where joy comes from. And then I want them to find that joy and I want them to live in it. God, our Heavenly Father, wants you. Did you know that God actually wants you to have pleasure and joy? The book of Psalms tells us that eternal pleasures are at God's right hand. If you want to know where you're going to find pleasure and you're going to find joy, you're going to find it being right next to God, walking intimately with Him. The enemy comes along, and would love to get you to believe that these temptations or sins that come your way are fun. Here's the thing, as a parent or when I was a youth pastor or even as a lead pastor, I'm not going to lie to people and say, sin's no fun, because that's not true. Sometimes there are sinful things that can seem like a lot of fun. The question is, are you okay with the consequences that they bring when that fun is over? Because the fun will come to an end, and it comes quick. But what's amazing about joy in Jesus is that that can never be taken away. Someday, by the way, did you know this? Did you know you're going to die? I'm not sure if I've asked that question before or not. You're like only about 81 times in the past two weeks. But let me again ask you, did you know you're gonna die? Did you know that you're gonna be dead longer than you're gonna be alive? That's a crazy thing to think. Did you know that eternity is a long time? Okay, my, my junior high, high school students, elementary school students, I know you think math class lasts forever, that's not forever. Forever is a lot longer. History class, is this ever going to end? Yes, someday it will be history. It will come to an end. Some of you caught that. That was a dad joke. It will come to an end, but eternity will never come to an end. We will spend eternity somewhere forever. And the amazing thing is when we get to heaven and we get to experience what it's like to be with Jesus, we get to experience fully what John got a glimpse of when he wrote Revelation. You are not going to regret anything that you did for Jesus not a thing. So Jesus says, know who I am. Know that because of who I am and the things that you're doing well and I'm commending you of, I also need to talk to you about some things that might need some work. And here's where Jesus brings in what we would call the criticism. It's in verse four. He said, but, okay, when Jesus says, but after giving you a commendation, you're probably going, oh, do I really want to hear what's next? Here's what the church in Ephesus heard. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. So here's what's happening with the church in Ephesus. They're doing great at serving him. They're doing great at knowing their doctrine. But they have abandoned, and this is your third blank, they have abandoned their love for Jesus and they've replaced it with cold orthodoxy. They've abandoned their love for Jesus And they've replaced it with cold orthodoxy. By the way, orthodoxy is not a bad thing. It literally means knowing the right thing. And then orthopraxy is doing the right thing. But when it becomes cold, then it becomes a problem. Let me give you some of the avenues you might take that would cause your deep love for Jesus to just become cold orthodoxy. One, it might be out of obligation. You're here because you feel like you have to be. Please don't come on Sunday morning because you feel like you have to be. In fact, I haven't found anything in Scripture that tells me you're going to be loved more or you're going to be loved less because you come to church. So why do we come? Because we love Him. Jesus is worth it, and He's amazing. And the more I read about Him, the more I get blown away by who He is, and I can't wait to learn more about Him. And that makes me more excited to be here on a Sunday morning. 52 times a year, I get to celebrate my favorite day of the week. I love Sundays because we get to do this together. We get to grow together. We get to pray together. We get to sing together. We get to study God's Word together. And all of those are little tastes of what heaven is going to be like. Makes me more and more excited for Monday morning. You're like, how can you be excited about Monday morning? But it's an opportunity to wake up and have a whole new week where we get to study God's Word. We get to sit down on our own and open up our Bibles and see what it is that the Lord's going to teach us that week. That's exciting stuff, but sometimes it gets cold because we do it out of obligation. Maybe you show up for recognition. Listen, if you do what you do ever for the praise of man, you're going to get disappointed because there's always going to be somebody that forgets to say thank you or somebody that talks to you in a way that you didn't like or somebody that looks at you the wrong way or somebody that says something that you didn't appreciate and it happens And then we have to stop and we have to remind ourselves, when I lay my head down at night, I'm not looking for any other human being to say, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to hear that from the lips of Jesus. Now, I get it. We're people. I'm an extroverted people pleaser. I don't like when people aren't happy. That bugs me and I think about it and I lose sleep over it. But then when I'm losing that sleep, the Lord has to remind me over and over, Dave, if you're doing what you're doing for recognition then you are in the wrong field and you don't belong in the pulpit. And not only do you not belong in the pulpit, but you don't belong discipling your kids or your wife or anybody else for that matter. So for all of us, we have to ask, why am I doing what I'm doing? Or we might just do it out of rote memory. It's just what we do. Good Christians get up on Sunday morning and they go to church. And they check the box. And then good Christians say their prayers before meals. And then they, those good Christians say their prayers before they go to bed, right? I mean, that's what good Christians do. And again, I look back in Scripture, and I don't ever find that. I don't find a checklist. I find the people that were praying to Jesus praying to Jesus because they couldn't wait to talk to Him. And many of them were going to lose their lives for prayer. Y'all remember this young man, 14 years old? His name was Daniel? Remember how Daniel was told you cannot pray to any other god other than the king? You're going to actually worship the king? And what did Daniel get caught doing? He had his window open and he's praying and he's going, you know, I don't care what you're going to do to me. You want to throw me in a fiery furnace? I guess you're going to have to throw me in a fiery furnace because I'm not going to stop worshiping my Jesus. You want to throw me into a den of lions? You're going to go ahead and throw me into a den of lions because I'm not going to stop worshiping my Jesus. That's anything but cold orthodoxy. That word that he uses there for abandon your first love, it's the Greek word aphimai and it literally carries with it the idea of divorce. It was a word that was used for divorce. If you were going to divorce somebody, the Greek word you would use is, I'm going to afima you. I'm out. So this is pretty strong language. It would have been something like this. The church in Ephesus is saying, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not divorcing you. It would have been like this. Husbands, wives, pretend like this is your husband speaking. Honey, I don't love you anymore. But nothing's gonna change. I'm still gonna earn a living. I'm still gonna pay the bills. We'll still sit together. We'll still sleep together. I'm even gonna father our kids. I just don't love you anymore. Ladies, you cool with that? I didn't think so. And I pray that as a church, we don't ever get to that point where we say, hey, Jesus, I'll show up on Sunday morning. I'll even serve in kids ministry. I'll work with subhumans in youth ministry. Heck, I'll do all of that. Sorry, all the teenagers are like, thanks, man. I'll do any of that. I'll I'll hand out bulletins. I'll even pick up trash. I'll serve in the coffee shop. Whatever. But Jesus, I just don't really love you anymore. Is Jesus cool with that? Probably not. So Jesus switches from his criticism to a challenge. Being the fact that that's not okay that you've abandoned or that you've in essence divorced me, that you don't have that love for me anymore, it's just rote memory or it's just for recognition, I'm gonna give you a challenge. He said, remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. I wanna make sure we're really clear on this verse because this has thrown a lot of people for a loop. Let's start with the challenge. Here's the challenge and you got some, some blanks for it. But the challenge to the church is remember, the greatness of Jesus. Let's start there. Remember, go back to your remembrance of the greatness of Jesus. If I was to stop right now, and you don't have to do this out loud, but just think about it for a moment. If we were to stop right now and just kind of popcorn praises for Jesus, what would you say? Actually, why not? Let's do it. What are some things that come to your mind when you think of Jesus? We we can talk out loud in church. You won't get in trouble, I promise. Give me a word that you think of when you think of Jesus, something about the greatness of him. Oh, wow, that was like speaking in tongues. Come on, people. <laughs> okay, I heard a couple of things. I heard that he's great, that he's good, his glory. What else? Okay, he loves us. What else? Okay, he's great. What else? Okay, he's, he's glorious. He's a protector. He's a shepherd. He's the creator. Okay, good. Stop there for just a moment. Our list could probably go all day long if we really thought about how amazing jesus is and here's our challenge remember the greatness of jesus if you find your place in, in yourself in a place of cold orthodoxy it might be good to just whip out a scratch piece of paper a blank piece of paper and just start writing down all of the things that blow you away about jesus and then just start reading through those start reading through the scriptures And then start writing down anything you see that blows you away about the goodness and the greatness of Jesus. But remember his greatness. Here's the second thing. Repent of our apathy towards Jesus. I think sometimes I get apathetic about who he is. I throw around words like, yeah, he's given me grace and mercy. But I don't really think about what the definition of grace and mercy is. And how badly I need it, but how much I don't deserve it. I don't deserve grace what's grace? It's an undeserved or unmerited gift or favor. It's being given something I don't deserve. Y'all know what mercy is? It's not being given something I do deserve. So if I was to work backwards, starting with mercy, I'm not given something I do deserve. What do I deserve? I deserve eternal damnation, death. I deserve second death, separation from God forever. What do I not deserve that I do get? Eternal life. And I don't get it because of who I am or what I've done. So I need to remember Jesus' greatness, repent of my apathy towards him, and then renew my sense of awe for Jesus. Get my sense of awe for him renewed. How do I do that? Well, just to kind of let you into my personal world, I just started jotting down some of the things that I I can do and I need to do throughout the day that may seem small, but are huge reminders. I love both early mornings and late nights. So whether it be a sunrise or a sunset, what a great time to praise the creator of the universe for what he has done. I really like food, if you didn't know that. Man, what a great time when you're eating food to praise God that He made foods that you can taste and enjoy. I love people, just getting to be around people. So, just getting to praise the Lord for the different relationships that He's given me in my life. I love reading good books. Especially books that are solid theologically that point us to even more of the greatness of Jesus. Even while reading through a book, sometimes just stopping and praising Him for it. Or my favorite book of all is the one that we're studying through right now, the Bible. God's Word in general. Even just stopping as we're reading through God's Word and just thanking Him for His Word. Those are just a couple of the things that we can do to remember God's greatness. To repent of our apathy and then really to renew our sense of awe uh, for who He is. And then here's the last thing that Jesus does. It's counsel. He gives some counsel to the church. Look at the last verse of our passage this morning. It's in Revelation chapter 2, verse 7. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear. That is a phrase that is meant to arrest our attention. He says, listen close. Don't miss this. He goes, I know that I told you about my character. I know that I gave you a little commendation. I know that you needed a little criticism. And I, and I also gave you a challenge but don't miss the counsel that I'm about to give you because I want you to hear some of the blessing that you will receive if you heed my words. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. The counsel that he gives to this church in Ephesus as well as to New Covenant is his challenge to experience the blessing of intimate fellowship with him. He wants us to experience intimate fellowship with him. How did I get that from verse 7? We have to understand that when somebody is invited to eat at somebody else's table, it is saying that you are taking in and loving on and agreeing with this person that you're sitting down and having a meal with. Because oftentimes what they would do is if a false teacher or a false prophet would come into town, they were told very clearly, do not offer hospitality or table fellowship with that person. Because what you are saying by engaging in a meal with them is that you agree with what they're teaching or what they're saying or what they're doing. Jesus says, I love you so much that even though you're a messed up sinner, I'm gonna invite you to eat at my table because of who I'm making you into. Not because of who you've made yourself into, but because of who I've turned you into. I can now invite you to my table. You can come and you can eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now they would have read this and immediately recognized that, oh, he's also pointing back to the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve were supposed to enjoy intimacy with God and intimacy with each other. And then mankind sinned, Adam and Eve sinned, and as soon as they did, their fellowship with God ends up getting broken. But then Christ shows up on the scene and he goes, I'm gonna restore all of that. I'm gonna fix that problem. And now you're gonna be able to eat at the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God once again. And you're never gonna have to worry about someone taking that position away from you because of who I am and what I've done. It's interesting that in all three places, this word that's used, this paradise of God could literally be translated garden. So God is going to restore what was lost in the garden of Eden, in the paradise of God. He's going to give us this brand new garden to be having intimate fellowship with God in. I'm excited for that day. I can't wait. Well, this begs two final questions before we close. Who are the overcomers? He said, I'm going to let the conquerors or the overcomers eat at the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. But who are those overcomers or the conquerors? Well, it's interesting that John wrote Revelation, and then he also wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And in 1st John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, he says, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. It's not just faith in anything. I've heard so many people say, well, well, he or she's got faith. In what? We all have faith in something. We put it in something every single day. Well, I'm glad John finishes verse 5. He says, who is it that overcomes the world? Except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. He says, overcomers are the ones that have put their faith and their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are the overcomers. And again, it's not because of the fact that we're awesome or we're amazing, it's because the one that we serve is awesome and amazing. He has overcome sin, he's overcome death, he's overcome Satan, he's overcome the world. Which brings us to our last question, are you an overcomer? Well, only overcomers get to eat at the tree of life. So I don't want to leave here today without giving anybody the opportunity to trust in the one who overcame sin and death, which would turn you into an overcomer. Before I go there, I just want to make sure that we're clear on what it means to trust Christ and be an overcomer. Because the Christian worldview, the biblical worldview, is the only one that actually makes sense of the world that we live in. And what is the Christian or the biblical worldview? Well, it's the truth that there is one God who made the universe, that He's eternally existent in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that he actually came to us, God Almighty, when we couldn't earn our way to heaven or work our way to heaven, left heaven and came to us. He died on a cross and then he rose again, paying the penalty for every single one of our sin. That is hugely important because God doesn't let any good people into heaven. Some of you are looking at me like, what do you mean? I thought heaven was only for good people. Did you know there's no good people in heaven? What kind of people are in heaven? Perfect. That's it. And you're going, well, guess I'm not going. No, that's, this is where the good news of Jesus comes in. Even though we are wretched sinners, when Jesus died for us, he paid for all of our sin, past, present, and future. The penalty of sin has been wiped out, and the power of sin has been wiped out. It no longer has any hold on those that are trusting Jesus. And one day, you and I get to be freed from the presence of sin. But the power and the penalty are gone. Therefore, we can now stand before our Heavenly Father. He sees Jesus, and remember, there is our entrance into heaven. Is that good news this morning? It's the best news ever. I sound like a Mercy Me song. It's the best news ever. We get to be in heaven with the Lord forever. I'm going to pray for us, and as I'm praying, I'm going to ask you all, if you would, just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Today is a great day to have a birthday. Today is a great day to trust Christ because we're about to take communion together. And communion can have a whole new meaning for some of you all. If you've never trusted Jesus before, what a great day to know that no matter what happens to you, because of what we're about to celebrate, Jesus has shed blood and broken body, you can be in heaven forever. you got nothing to worry about. So you can drive down crazy Paseo with your head held high, knowing if some dude runs you off the road, you're going to go be with Jesus. Can we just say, bring it on? Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you and just tell you that we love you, uh, that we are so thankful for who you are. We are so thankful for how you work in our lives. And Lord, we ask now that even as we're sitting here, you'd be working on hearts and minds. Lord, for my brothers and sisters that are sitting in this room that have yet to trust you, Lord, I ask that you would continue to make yourself real to them. Lord, remind us that we don't even find anything in scripture called a sinner's prayer. We don't find any type of magical chant that we are supposed to say in order to be saved, but Lord, that your word tells us we are to simply trust you. So Lord Jesus, for my brothers and sisters sitting in this room, I pray that they would be trusting you right now. Yeah, I'm going to ask if you would, would you just sit there with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? If you already know Jesus as Lord and Savior, uh, would you just be praying for those that may be around you that don't? Not even just in this room, but maybe in your neighborhood, maybe people that you work with. I would even encourage you right now, be thinking of somebody that you know that has yet to trust Jesus by their first name and be praying between you and the Lord for them by first name. If you are sitting in this room right now, or maybe you are watching this from afar and you have yet to trust Jesus, this is a great day to acknowledge him before men. So as we're just sitting here with our heads bowed and eyes closed, if you have decided, I want to trust Jesus. I want to know Him. Uh, I want to walk with Him. Would you just stick a hand up real high so that we could be praying for you? Awesome. You're okay to put your hands down. I want to encourage you that if you have trusted Christ this morning and you raised your hand. There are a couple of ways that you can let us know. Uh, One, there is a group running around that says need prayer. They would love to pray with you and for you. Um, There's also a way in your bulletins that you could let us know. There's a tear-off that you could just throw in uh, one of those offering boxes in the back, and we would love to follow up with you. We're not going to show up at your house. We're not going to hunt you down. We would just love to be able to send you some things that will help you grow in your walk with the Lord and just do a little follow-up with you. Gang, let me just spend some time praying real quick for those that have trusted Jesus. And then when I am done praying, you can get up and you can go and take communion. If you would, keep the cup and the bread with you until I lead us in taking it all together. So let me go ahead and spend a moment and pray for us. And as soon as I'm done praying, when you're ready, you can get up and begin to take communion. Lord Jesus, we come before you and we just lift up, especially those that are sitting in this room that are brand new. Uh, brothers and sisters in Christ that have trusted you for the first time. Lord, we thank you for those men and women that, uh, Lord, have had an eternity, a destiny changed because of who you are and what you've done in their life. Lord, thank you for how you wrote uh, letters to seven real churches and how those have so many applicable principles and lessons for us. But the greatest one of all is that, Lord Jesus, you love us regardless of who we are that as the creator of the universe, you entered into your creation, you died for us, you rose for us, and that you live in us now and forevermore. We celebrate that now as we take communion. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We have a great week.